the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, invested in more. What's working on Wall Street and why? Try to cover all that and a little bit more. Personal finance thrown in. This is one of those days where we're starting to get towards the end of the month of March. Do we hold on to gains? Do we not hold on to gains? Are we worried about it? I don't know. Is this the beginning? Is this your big sell signal so you can get back in at lower levels? Do you book your gains here? I don't really play that game. My game is accumulation. Later in life, my game will be distribution. I'm not that stressed out on a day-by-day level of what's happening on Wall Street and why. I pay attention. I'm not telling you not to pay attention. I'm just saying, don't get caught up too much. Don't get yourself in a tizzy. Don't get yourself hurt. Don't overthink things. We're having another down day. That may make two or three in a row if this continues. But we're having a glorious start to the year. You can't really have it both ways. You can't really... uh, You can't have the up times without having the down times, right? You with me? Let's take a quick look at the Meyergen numbers. Dow's down 47. Ouch. NASDAQ down 9. SP 500 down 7. Euro's trading lower compared to the dollar. 10 year Treasury bonds at 2.26% earlier this week. We're at 2.34, 2.35. So we're giving back about 10 basis points. We got oil sitting down two bucks, $104. I'm very excited today to announce one big thing. A brand new Angry Birds has landed today. Angry Birds space is now here. Something more for us to waste our time with at work and download and enjoy. The new space game is retaining the classic Angry Birds gameplay, but turns the franchise on its head with 60 fresh levels. And a number of new features. Close to a billion Angry Bird apps have been downloaded in total. Rovio Entertainment is a gaming behemoth. That means giant to you who failed your SATs. 
it's worth a reported $9 billion as a company. That's huge. Now, let's stop for Uno Momentero and think about Angry Birds, right? It's in your head, right? Then you start thinking about the company is worth $9 billion. It's private at this point in time. You know how much Electronic Arts is worth? $5.6 billion. I grew up playing video games from Activision Electronic Arts. Bird versus Johnson. Or Bird versus Dr. J. Well, yeah, it's Dr. J, right? Okay, now I'm feeling old because I'm in senile. But Activision Blizzard's worth $14.2 billion. Activision's got that whole Call of Duty super violent franchise. They've also got World of Warcraft. They got Mr. T. Over on the electronic art side of the fence, they've got Madden Football. They've got franchises. Angry Birds is worth $8 billion. More than Electronic Arts, less than Activision. Angry Birds. Like, you can't tell me another thing that Rovio has done other than Angry Birds. It's the newest installments available on the iPhone. With a high-definition version for the iPad released. A little bit more expensive. Rovio said that an ad-free Android version will follow. Initially, Android users can play the game for free, although that comes with in-game advertisements. I saw at one point in time, and I, don't hold me to actually tell you the truth on this, but I actually saw at one point in time, and I believe this to be true, I've never fact-checked it, that Rovio served up more ads through Angry Birds than Google did last year. That's pretty crazy. So Rovio, Angry Birds, is like Mario, or it's like Sonic, depending on when you grew up. It's a permanent part of pop culture. So the Dow's down 47, the Nasdaq's down 8, the SP 500 down 6. You know, going back to yesterday, our short-term enthusiasm is starting to wane a bit. The market showed decent resilience yesterday with yet another steady intraday rally following an early morning decline before a late-day sell-off. It's only been a few days now in which the market uptrend has been flattened and, and pulled back to, hey, this thing doesn't always go up. Are we going to stall ahead of the first quarter earnings reports that start to come out in April? The Chinese manufacturing report this morning, HSBC Diffusion Index, dipped to 48.1. Reading below 50 is a contraction. Are you telling me the Chinese are starting to contract? No! Like, that's bad news. But again, we're not Pollyannas. We don't live in a world of only good news. There's concerns that slowing global economic growth will curtail profit for some U.S. companies. That's certainly a legitimate, too legit, too legit to quit. It's it's, it's legitimate. There's a lot of concrete and economic news this morning. New claims for unemployment for the weekend in March 17 dipped to 348,000. I like that. Any number under 400,000 is a good number. Now, again, when you dip from 353 last week to 348, you're like, that's not a lot. But you're going to see another payroll gain. You're going to see more people get back to work. Claims are at their lowest level in four years right now. That's good. The employment outlook continues to improve, and that's that, that may be inflationary down the road. Something we will pay attention to, I promise, on the show. FedEx leads the morning's corporate earnings calendar. 
ConAgra and GameStop, they're also going to report today. Accenture, Micron, and Nike tonight. I love Nike as a long-term Accumulate franchise. McDonald's is a stock we're watching. CEO Jim Skinner, he's going to retire on June 30th. They're finally taking him off the fry machine. They're going to put him in drive through for a couple months. Current president COO Don Thompson is going to succeed Skinner. It's interesting. Don Thompson is African-American, and he's an incredibly chatty character. Whereas Jim Skinner is not incredibly chatty. So you're going to have McDonald's being led by two very different people. Now, I've told you in the past that I think McDonald's is a great franchise and it's a great company to own. You know, they make good money in good economies, bad economies. They've been slowly but surely introducing the right type of product to get people aging with them. But when you have a new CEO, you stop and reflect, is now the time for me to you know, buy more? Be patient, take a look. Like Maybe the new CEO goes back to the you know roots, takes the company backwards instead of forwards. You're listening to AM 1220, KDOW. Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. FedEx profit forecast in line as shipments slow. FedEx and UPS are both companies that give us a feeling on the overall U.S. economy. If we're shipping packages, that tends to tell us that business is being done. FedEx Express units its largest by revenue posted a 4% drop in domestic shipments, while international priority shipments slid about 1%, a little bit below trend. Taking a look at the market numbers today, we've got the Dow down 65, the NASDAQ down 14, the S&P 500 down 8. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. How are you today, Chad? Great. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for asking. It's always good to have you in studio talking financials, talking money with me. You often say that you can't start a financial plan without a budget. Now, again, there's a lot of things you need to know about money. Budgeting is one of them. It's probably uh, close to the top of the things that you need to know. Budgeting and goals. Yeah, I mean, you know, a true financial planner, true fiduciary that's going to actually create a financial plan for you is going to be very cash flow oriented, which means long-term cash flow projections, long-term projections of even your tax bracket. And you can't possibly figure out whether or not you've saved enough or how much you have to save until you know what you're spending now and what you're going to spend in retirement until you've created a budget. I mean, I can't I can't do anything for people until I know what their expenses are. You know what I mean? Right, right. Unless they unless I can look at their portfolio and say, "Well, you have way more than you need to retire on. I need a budget." It's it's one of the metrics that you use to say, "Are you meeting your expectations in retirement? Are you meeting your goals or not?" So, younger people just really need to move slowly and buy what you can afford. That's the that's the first thing about budgeting when you're younger is buy what you can afford. Don't buy what your parents already have. Buy what you can afford, because people are going to be judging you by the size of your portfolio when you retire, not the type of car you drive. So, so you're saying the size does matter? Of the portfolio? Right. Definitely. Absolutely. 
So budgeting, you just brought up a concept. There's retirement budget, but there's also a pre-retirement budget. Is For simpler terms, a pre- like my lifestyle, I need a budget. I need to make sure that I'm not spending more than my paychecks. Yeah, well, you've got to look at the budget and see how long certain things are projected for. You can't just look at your budget if you have young kids right now, especially in the Bay Area if you're in an area where you're using private school. That expense isn't going to be there forever. So some certain expenses... Uh, Private education, certain kids' costs, you know, the ballet every month, the soccer costs, that's going to go away at some point. But other things come back in in retirement that you've got to project as well. Like most people spend more money in the first five years of retirement than, than when they're their last five years of working because they're, they're doing either the honey-do list or the vacation dream list or buying the RV or the second home. All of that has to be projected. So you have to sit down and say, what do I want my retirement to be like? Am I really going to be happy if I just quit working at age 60 or 65? Do I have hobbies? Do I have things that, that excite me, that I'm passionate about, that I want to do? And how do I fund that? You know, How do you make money work for what you really want your life to be like? So I get the whole Rob Black's lifetime budget. You know, I get what I'm spending, what I'm not spending, what I'm saving, what I'm not saving. Um, I use Mint.com, which stands for moneyintelligence.com. It helps me with a budget because it tracks all my spending, Yeah, which yeah. is basically what a budget is. Track your spending first and foremost and then start, you know, adding other lines into that budget. Uh, what do you think about Mint.com? Um, I think, uh, you know, if you can get past the first couple of quarters where it's kind of monotonous, you got to make sure things get categorized the right way. Sometimes if you're using certain cards, things can get double booked. So there's some definitely some weekly cleanup that you want to do for the first couple of months on Mint. And then, and then hopefully it gets automated for you. You sign up your credit cards and, and debit cards, and then it tracks your spending and helps you categorize that. And then you can see how you're doing versus other families in your same kind of zip code area. You know, are you, you spending more or less? Are you cool with uh, using an online tool like Mint.com where it's yeah. tracking your finances and you're not worried about hackers? Yeah. The, the, the thing that I've seen is, first of all, most credit cards and bank cards, you're going to have that $50 limit where you're you know, responsible for maybe the first 50 bucks, but you got to keep an eye on it in case something happens so you can shut it down. Most of the bad cases of identity theft that I've seen have to do with mail. Okay. You know, the, people that sign up their credit cards online, as long as they have a, a, a pretty recent computer right. with spyware and adware that you're constantly, you know, set your computer up so you're doing a screen every night, obviously. Um, it, I think it's a lot safer to pay checks online than to write checks. Okay, and and I'm not worried about the, the online theft, but you know, go ahead and get your identity theft insurance if you want to. So we need to wrap this up a little bit sooner rather than later. We talked a little bit pre-retirement budget. Let's talk post-retirement budget. What are some of the surprises that people need to start allocating for that that expense? Your dreams, first of all. So you got to make sure you sit down now and dream what you want your retirement to be like that and budget for that. But don't forget, you got health care costs. Medicare insurance, medical insurance isn't free when you turn 65. You have Medicare. You got to pay for Medicare Part B. That's 115 or so a month or more if you're a successful person and, and have a higher income. And you've got taxes. Most of the money people are retiring with are in their 401k. So you got a million dollars in your 401k. That's really only 700 grand after taxes. Right, absolutely. And then inflation—that's the biggest one. Healthcare costs are going up at five to six percent. The value of a dollar is cut in half every eighteen years. So you can't assume that your your income will be level in retirement. You've got to be able to increase it with inflation. You can find Chad at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com or chadburton.com. He is a CFP. So a couple other big stories of note today: Raytheon. Defense contractor raised its quarterly dividend to fifty cents from forty three cents, which is a sixteen percent increase. You would have thought with all the budget cuts that the big defense spenders would uh, be going the opposite direction than they are right now. Retail urban outfitters 
They're in the news today. The CFO, Eric Atz, is stepping down. He's going to depart April 3rd with Chief Accounting Officer Frank Confronti replacing him. Payment processor Vantive is debuted on the New York Stock Exchange today after its IPO was priced at $17 a share. Sony is uh, in the news today. They're, again, juggling management. Sony's been struggling for quite a while. Uh, they, at one point in time, put in a American CEO, and it, it just is not working out for them right now. There's news out of South Korea that the next iPhone will have a bigger 4.6-inch retina display and will be launched during the second quarter of this year. Um, is that news or is that rumor? TiVo's in the news today. They've made an arrangement where Microsoft has agreed to dismiss all pending litigation against TiVo. This smells like two companies are starting to work together. Maybe Microsoft acquires TiVo down the road. Um, that TiVo experience is second to none, but people don't want to pay for it. So it has to be integrated in some sort of platform. Starbucks, their price target's being raised at 862 bucks. You know I like Starbucks, especially if we're in a down market. I think Starbucks, Nike, McDonald's are companies that you can buy when the market's getting hit and hammered, when it's getting rained upon. Uh, but Starbucks is out there today. They're uh, basically price target being raised by Oppenheimer, saying recent coffee price declines could provide extra earnings for the company. They've got you know uh, more momentum with their K-Cup profit contribution multiples. They're doing they're getting into athletic drinks. Is it athletic drinks or energy drinks? I guess it's probably more correct to say energy drinks. Um, eager to dip into the influential eight billion dollar energy drink category. Um, Seattle's very own Starbucks is starting to roll out its natural energy drinks to be sold at grocers, convenience stores, and Starbucks stores. It's a fruity carbonated drink that's high in antioxidants. It uses unroasted green coffee extract for the energy boost, but has no coffee taste. The beverage with flavors ranging from raspberry pomegranate to strawberry lemonade will sell for buck ninety-nine for a twelve-ounce sixty-calorie can. So there you have it. You're listening to me, Rob Black, on AM twelve twenty KDOW. Don't forget to get a seminar coming up in Dinah's Garden Hotel in Palo Alto. It's a few Thursdays from now. You can find out more about that at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back on. AM 1220, KDOW, headline news coming up next. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Talking money investing and much, much more. This break, I'm going to give out tickets to Totem for Thursday, April 5th. Thursday, April 5th. In San Jose, Cirque du Soleil returns to San Jose with its latest touring production, Totem. Now playing under the blue and yellow big top at Taylor Street Bridge. Tickets on sale at CirqueDuSoleil.com. Inspired by a lot of the founding myths. These are this is probably $200 plus in tickets. These tickets aren't cheap. So if you would like to go, I don't know, call and make me laugh. How about that for a challenge? Let's bring in uh, CFP Chad Burton. How are you, CFP Chad Burton? Good, no joke ready for you though. Sorry, can't make you laugh. 
Come on, you have to have one joke ready for me. <laughs> nope. What's your favorite joke? What's your favorite joke of all time? My favorite, favorite joke of all time. I don't know. What's your favorite joke of all time, Ralph? My favorite punchline. Joke's too R-rated, but the punchline's funny. It's lickety split. <laughs> Is that a Jackie Martell type of joke? Or? I can't tell. I can't say anything else about nothing. So, what do you think about Starbucks getting into uh, energy drinks? Well, what about uh, Starbucks getting into serving alcohol at about, what, 60 locations now and growing? Did you hear the, the founder of Red Bull died and he, uh, about a week ago and he's still twitching? <laughs> I know my 12-year-old was trying to tell me that if you drink too much, you could die. Hey, I, see, I made you laugh. So Starbucks is pretty smart, right? They're getting into these self-serve coffee things. They're coming out with their own coffee machine. They're coming out with uh, instant coffee. Uh, they keep throwing some stuff. It, it's smarter than, remember the, in the early 2000s and late 90s, they're like getting into music and getting into Wi-Fi. and They're getting into some awful projects, and now they're getting into some smart projects. Well, yeah, I think you know the whole deal is that they've got their stores open until 8, 9 o'clock at night in some cases, and they want to get more people in the store for the experience. So some people might not want coffee at 8 o'clock at night. Um, so you know, they're serving wine and Beer at some locations in Seattle, and that's that's going to grow. Um, it's it's very interesting to see, you know. And they, if commodity prices level out too, because they sell so much milk, that you know that'll help them in the long run. But I think another interesting thing is the natural gas at these levels, Rob. I mean, two years ago, did you think you'd see natural gas at these levels? No, it's 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 collapsed as far as market goes. We opened up uh, for drilling, and the prices have collapsed. Yeah. It, I mean, under three bucks, it's, it's crazy. And then the natural gas numbers actually just came out. Inventories are still at a surplus, but they're down a little bit, which is the market wasn't expecting that. It was not having much effect on price. But as you know, I've liked the oil and gas, you know, pipelines for quite a while now. You can get them in the form of an ETF and avoid the K1 and have a nice dividend yield. But also, um, picking up today, I can't name names, obviously, but... Uh, utility in that is has is involved in natural gas, and then there's going to be all sorts of investments. I think around. Can, can that. I get? Can I guess what the name is? No, you cannot guess what the name is. <laughs> can I say what it rhymes yeah. with? Can I guess what it rhymes no, with? No, no, don't even do that. No, nope. I will. I'll call the SEC myself on. <laughs> okay, too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but anyways, there's other ones. You know, the, the liquefaction of natural gas, that process, and. and um, if certain things get passed, I think it's going to be a, a, a much bigger industry and create a lot of jobs. That's the kind of things that we need in America for sure. But what I actually want to call about today is, is, again, to talk to people about the types of bonds that they might own. Um, I've seen kind of a, you know, a lot of portfolios coming in that, that, that we're reviewing, and people are buying a lot of these ETFs. That are in bonds, and they look at, at them, and they're they like them because they have four to eight percent yield, even in the municipal bond side. Right. And I asked them, I go, "Do you realize that these things are leveraged thirty to forty percent?" And people don't, Rob. People buy these things just simply because of the yield. They don't even know what they own. And I think watching rates in the last few weeks and the big kind of a bit of a rate correction that we've had, you can see, you know, if rates move. 5%, these things might fall in, in, in value 10. You know what I mean? And people don't understand the leverage that they're in. So 
if they're owning these leveraged ETFs, they might have some you know safe period of time for the next 12 to 14 months. Um, but I'd rather see them in things like unconstrained bond funds with really good managers that they're smaller funds and they allow the manager to go into different areas um, so that they can make the moves for you out of, you know, short or midterm treasuries if that's what ends up with scary, you know, 14 months down the road. People really need to take a look at their bond portfolio because people buy bonds for that downside protection. And I think a lot of people are going to be unpleasantly surprised in the next few years. Okay, let's talk a little bit about creating your own plan, your own pension plan. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with you. I think bonds are not probably not appropriate right now for most investors unless they really know what they're doing. But let's talk pension plans. Yeah, pension plan. And the reason why I talked about this because there is still kind of this whole slew of, you know, 50- and 60-year-olds out there, Rob, that had a pension plan at their employer, and their employer kind of wants to get rid of the plan. So they're offering lump sum rollouts right now. And the way that it works is that when interest rates are really low, the lump sum is larger and more attractive. When interest rates are high, the lump sum is lower and the lifetime income is more attractive. So now is a good time to, you know, roll these things over and create your own pension plan in the form of, you know, basically a good portfolio that you and I talk about all the time on the air with, you know, safe money, dividend-paying stocks, a balanced portfolio, and some in some of those no-load retirement products because there are a couple of no-load variable annuities out there that you can invest in a balanced portfolio and, and they guarantee, the insurance company guarantees your income of 5 to 6% for the rest of your life no matter how long you live. So to create your own pension plan, you typically the typical retiree wants at least 20 to 30% of their income needs coming from pension plans in the form of their social security or uh, guaranteed lifetime income stream. So people get shocked a lot when you and I talk about annuities because we spent you know, 12 years telling people how awful they were. And now there's some decent no-load versions out there. So, you know, people can create their own pension plan if they just want to point that out. With that said, there are some really horrible annuity salespeople still out there. There are. And, you know, I don't like the types of annuities that go away when you die. I mean, with these no-load versions, when you die, whatever's left over goes to your heirs. If, you gotta, if you're about to take a pension plan from your company or from the government, one of the things you have to realize is that it might still be there for your spouse if you die, but what if you and your spouse die 10 years after taking the pension plan? Your heirs get nothing. I love the way you say heirs. Can you say Arabs? 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 No, I didn't say Arabs, but... Arabs? Okay, I'm Arabs? a beneficiary. Do you like that better? No, I just... I, you know, I, I like when you say heirs. All right. Okay. You got anything else for me, or are you all done? Um, well, no, I think that, too, is I've, I've seen people, when they take their pension plan, they take it you know, early in life, they're 60, and they get to be 70, 75, they've got a younger spouse, and they haven't done any planning for if they die, their pension and half the Social Security is going to go away. So uh, people need to focus on that and you know, come up with a life insurance strategy or a reverse mortgage type of strategy so their spouse isn't in poverty after they die. Okay, tomorrow let's talk a little bit about people who are getting statements from their brokerages that's basically they have to fill in some of the dates for the IRS as far as uh, cost basis. Let's talk, co- talk cost basis tomorrow. All right. Will do. Okay. It's the one, the only CFP, Chad Burton. You can find him online at chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. He's worth newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. Um, 
I, I endorse him wholeheartedly. Uh, I can't say enough nice things about him. Uh, if you need a CFP, I think uh, you'd really like him. He doesn't sell private REITs. He doesn't have a brokerage that he owns. He's very non-affiliated in his business model. Uh, he gets to know people individually and personally. So if you need him, find him at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. Uh, with that said, it's tax season. Make sure you get your taxes done. We do have some seats, one set of seats for Totem, the Cirque du Soleil show. Call right now and come on air with me. Make a case for why you deserve the tickets, and I will give you the tickets. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Some of the other pieces of news this morning. Lulu Lemon. Lulu Lemon. They make the athletic clothes. They actually make clothes. They got called no stink pants, which for me, if I'm in retail apparel, I'm making no stink underwear. I'm making no stink T-shirts. I'm making no stink, you know, uh, garments across the board because that would be hot. So anyway, they came in with 51 cents a share revenue up 50% year over year. If you've listened to the show, you know that this is the specialty store that is hitting on all cylinders. They make um, athletic gear for yoga. They make good-looking athletic gear. Like high-end, good-looking, like sexy stuff. Like when you see a woman doing yoga, you're like, I want to marry this woman because it's that kind of sexy outfit. So men, if you don't know what women like, go get them a cool, hip, Lululemon um, yoga clothes, uh, gift certificate. So it's the specialty store right now that's on fire. Uh, Let's take a quick look at the market numbers. Let's see how the old Lululemon is responding to their earnings report. They're down four cents. Now, with that said, they've gone from 40 bucks a share this year to 70 bucks a share in the last 52 weeks. You're listening to AM 1220 KDOW. We've got two calls who are online. I'm going to be giving away a pair of tickets to Cirque du Soleil Thursday, April 5th. When we come back, don't go anywhere. Just get on the air and chat with me. And uh, ultimately, if you're not, you know, Satan, then I'll probably give you the tickets. And if you are Satan, well, that'll be entertaining as well. AM 1220, KDOW. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in, Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black. We have a down day on the market, so let's do something good and give away free tickets to Totem. Caller number one, you're on the air. I don't have a name for you, but I'll hear you breathe and just say hello. Yeah, is that me? That's you. Who's this? Okay, not, well, my name is Carmine. Carmine, okay. Hey, uh, not to sound like uh, kisser of the patoot, but first of all, I would like to uh, tell you that I appreciate your show. Uh, you guys are very insightful and straightforward. I appreciate that. Now, when uh, you say you guys, who are you talking about other than me? I'm talking about you, your guest, Chad, okay. your guest, whenever you guys uh, are discussing uh, my financial future. I appreciate it very much. Have you ever been to a Cirque du Soleil show? 
I've never been to a Cirque du Soleil show, but I've been to all your uh, or a lot of your uh, seminars. So. And you are a good brown noser. <laughs> so. uh, I would like to uh, present my mom, whose 75th birthday is tomorrow, with a gift from Rob Black to the Cirque du Soleil show. That would be very in, uh, enlightening for her. I'll take her to that. Okay, I'm going to put uh, you on hold. You said enough. Uh, you, bro- right. you broke my heart with a mom story. Well, it's the truth, though. <laughs> there you go. And I'm going to pull up a second caller and give away a pair of tickets as well. Who do we have on this line? Uh, this is Bob in San Jose. Hey, Bob. How are you? Hey, pretty good. Actually, I'm a little under the weather. I was trying to think of something funny this morning, and I couldn't do it, Rob. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, well, all I could do today is appeal to your goodness and your kind spirit. Long Which I don't, I don't have any guys. goodness or kind You've spirit. Had. And uh, I really uh, can't afford the tickets right now. I'd love to take my wife. Got a daughter in college, and we're in our early 60s, never been to the show, and that's all, all I can really come up with you. Sorry, I'm just not quite with it this morning. That's the best I can do. Hmm. I'm thinking daughter in college. Maybe you can leave me her in your will? Uh, I, I will do it. Just send I'm, me your info. <laughs> I'm a good guy, just as long as she's got good birthing hips, and um, she cleans well. Does she clean well? Oh, she's a great kid. You'll I'm, love her. I'm kidding, but congratulations on getting a kid to college. How's that feel? Uh, it feels good. It's uh, it's quite a financial commitment, uh, but you know, as you know, it's all about the kids, and we just do whatever we whatever we have to do. So we got one one and a half more years, and and uh, and then supposedly we'll be done. What's she studying? Actually, film and uh, television down at Chapman University down in Orange. Okay, let her know that when she's uh, you know ready for an internship, I can get her a, a job up at Cron, and uh, you know uh, it, it's a little bit of a factory up there. So wow, it's, uh, that's good experience unbelievable generous offer thank you i certainly will tell her that and also i work at mevio so i do a lot of film work there for the internet so um i'm being interviewed right now for a national television show so i'm a good contact for your daughter there you go you guys need to hook up (laughs) yeah well be careful on how you say that uh you know what i mean (laughs) exactly she's got a boyfriend um so a little little, okay yeah let's get i'm gonna put you on hold and we'll give you some tickets it's might not be the thursday april 5 show but it'll be a good show yeah that's great thank you so much so and be good to your wife and thanks for the call um that's sweet 800-516-1220 we'll give away tickets probably again tomorrow so uh it is what it is and thanks so much for listening Next hour, I'm going to focus a little bit differently. I'm going to go over a little macroeconomics. I'm going to talk about some stock ideas. I'm going to talk about some investment climate. I tend not to do macroeconomics because it tends to be something that blows your mind and you tend not to you know, you tend to tune it out, but I'll teach you about it. I'll teach you about some of the things that you need to look at in case my heart explodes if I drink too much butter. I drink a gallon of butter a day. kind of makes me feel good. Um, but we, you know, we'll go over some specialty issues next hour. I think stocks can continue to climb based on earnings and valuations, but this is going to be a tough quarter. No one in their right mind thinks that this quarter is going to be a glorious quarter. Um, we need to see jobs continue to improve. We can, we can live with a little bit of weakness out of Asia, and we can live with the Euro situation, no problem. Um, I feel like I have the, the best fan base in the world. I'm wildly appreciative and... Uh, Guy taking his mother to the show totem and guy taking his wife is just, I think, wonderful. So the Dow's down 88 right now. The Nasdaq's down 19. The S&P 500's down 11. Oil's down 2 bucks a barrel, just $104 a barrel. Not a lot going on as far as stories out there. Goldman Sachs is scanning their emails for the term Muppet. I think they're overreacting to an employee who left in a bitter fashion. But, you know, again, it's... 
it's an election year, so we tend will tend to overreact. Romney's in some deep doo doo because he said, you know, we're going to use the etch a sketch, and now that I've won this campaign, I'll just shake off the etch a sketch and you know start the new campaign all over. That's kind of funny, right? FedEx their profit more than doubled in the third quarter, but their their quarter wasn't that great as far as you know packages shipped and situations along those lines. Uh, FedEx said its profit during December through February more than doubled on higher package volume and prices as its ground and freight segments. The world's second largest package delivery company earned $521 million. Revenue rose about 9%. FedEx is narrowing its forecast for the fiscal year and now expects to earn 643 to 668 a share. So the shares of uh, FedEx are moving higher today. One of the big winners, in my opinion, of our failed United States Postal Service system is um, – FedEx and UPS. And on a lot of levels, UPS was a trucking company and FedEx was a, a plane company. And they've ultimately been kind of going at each other in kind of an X where FedEx has been adding more trucks and Fed, uh, UPS has been adding more planes. UPS recently just bought one of the biggest competitors of theirs in Europe, not because Europe stinks, but because business is good. So I like FedEx. I like UPS for the long term patient investor. Which one do I like more? Just depends on where they are as far as price to sales, uh, historical PE levels, um, what you're comfortable with. I think UPS is a little bit more of a premium name than FedEx because the UPS stores, I think, are well positioned for the company. Um, so I, they're kind of in the news. Mortgage rates are starting to creep above 4%. Now is the time to get your refinance. Now is the time to get your 30-year more fixed rate mortgage. Uh, even now is the time if you're five years into a 30-year to take a look at a 15-year to see if it makes sense for you. I tend not to say that, but the 15-year mortgage is so artificially skewed lower due to the Federal Reserve that it has become intriguing. The Dow's down 90, the S&P 500's down 12, the NASDAQ's down 20. You can find me at YouTube, Rob Black Show. There's no spaces. You can find me at Twitter, Rob Black Show, no spaces. You can find me at Facebook group page, I Hate Rob Black. I am Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. An hour after the show ends, you can find it a podcast of the show at kdow.bizam1220. KDOW. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. A couple things that I want to start with is sometimes you're looking for buzzwords. Buzzwords. When I say buzzwords, I'm saying you're looking for trends. Growth in Asia. Middle class being created. The retiring baby boomers. You're looking for something that is above average. You're looking for something that is above GDP growth. 
When things are trending below GDP growth, you're a little bit more defensive. When things are trending above GDP growth, you're a little bit more aggressive. There's all sorts of things that you can do. There's hundreds of ETFs now that you can look at. An ETF is an exchange-traded fund. It's a lot like a mutual fund, but it's an idea sometimes. Like, for instance, Russia, RSX, Emerging Markets, EEM, Global Shippers, SEA, Cloud Computing, SKYY, Energy Services, XLE, OIH, and XES. These are all exchange-traded funds. You want to see if the market's ready for a pullback or not? Check out the VIX, ticker symbol VXX. And that'll tell you how crazy it is out there or how boring it is out there. So you really got to learn to look at some of these issues and, and try to put them in perspective. Computing has gone from, you know, big mainframes to the desktop, to the servers, and it's moving to the clouds now. The cloud is not something that I'm prepared to talk right now and say, let's have a big 35-minute conversation about cloud computing. But a lot of the IPOs in 2012 are focused on cloud computing. It's a buzzword. It's it's sexy. It's sexy. Um, I don't know. It's something that I think ultimately you have to decide if it's appropriate for you and or not. But yeah, you could um, an index on cloud computing will probably grow faster than an index on technology. Something is you know again solid state drives. If you haven't had an SSD yet, put it into your computer and an SSD sounds like some sort of venereal disease. It's not. Solid state drives are awesome. Now, again, I tend not to want to outperform. I tend to want to perform. That's a crazy concept for a lot of people. My outperformance in Apple, I'm thrilled with. But if I can just get market performance, I'd be content. So learn to look at some ETFs. Learn to look at them and see what, you know, are they growing faster than? Are they growing slower than? Wall Street is about learning how to compare. You know, in general, one of the things that you're going to have to learn a little bit about is economics. If you want to do what I do, go take a good community college class in economics. Study of economics is how people or how firms or how nations use very scarce resources to satisfy unlimited wants. Macroeconomics, it's a branch of economics that concerns itself with market systems that operate on a huge scale. Microeconomics is more focused on choices made by individuals in the economy. Individual consumers, maybe individual firms. Macroeconomics deals with the performance of an entire economy the structure of it. When investors talk about macroeconomics, you tend to talk about things like raising or lowering interest rates or changing tax rates. A lot of the key questions addressed by macroeconomics include what causes unemployment? What causes inflation? What creates or stimulates economic growth? Can the government stimulate growth? 
Or will a hot new iPad stimulate growth? Is it the government or not? The term macroeconomics isn't that old. It only goes back to 1933. A lot of the core concepts go back further, though. Unemployment, prices, growth, trade. So we're getting a little bit more focused on these names as we get a little bit more mature as an economy. As a society, we become a little bit more educated. There's a guy's name that you're going to hear on occasion. You're going to go, I don't want to know anything more about that. My eyes are burning. His name's John Maynard Keynes. He's credited with the first theories of economics that described and modeled the behavior of the economy. Elements of earlier work from the you know, likes of Adam Smith, John Stuart Mill, all talked about macroeconomics. And macroeconomics starts to get you into what's called a school of thought. Now, a school of thought will start to change how you view the economy. How you view the investing world, what should you do with your money? Should you be greedy? Should you be fearful? So a little bit of understanding of economics, whether it's micro or macro or general, will teach you that you don't have to overreact. You don't have to, like, play poker. It's not an all-or-nothing kind of game. A classical economist thinks that prices, wage, and rates are flexible. There's no unemployment Growth depends upon the supply of production factors. I'm not a classic in any way, shape, or form. I'm more Keynesian. Now there's monetarists. There's new Keynesian. There's neoclassical. There's new classical. There's Austrian. Like there's different types of economists. And what you would think is is a pure study of numbers, it's not. Keynesian economics was largely found on the basis of John Maynard Keynes. Typically looks at a lot of things like aggregate demand, principal factor in unemployment and business cycle. Keynesian economists believe that the business cycle can be managed by active government intervention through fiscal policy. When the Federal Reserve lowers interest rates incredibly low, that allows credit cards to lend at lower levels. That allows credit card companies to assume more risk and spread the credit risk. Because if they borrow at 1% and they can charge anywhere from 6 to 18%, 18% for the crazy drunks out there, crazy drunk with power, credit card users, 6% for the, you know, the sticky-wicky little uh, librarians, you get the idea. Now, a monetarist school is tied towards Milton Friedman, another name that I know you've heard who you've never bothered to get to know. Friedman believed that the role of government is to control inflation by controlling the money supply. We don't report money supplies like we used to, M1, M2, M3s. Monetarists believe that markets are typically clear and that the participants have rational expectations. Fifteen years ago, when I got into the stock market reporting, stock market media, investment advisory world, this was a little bit more commonly referred to commentary. Now it's a little bit more Keynesian. Now, new Keynesian is trying to add microeconomic foundations to traditional Keynesian economic theories, talking about how households operate on the basis of rational expectations or not rational, if there's a stickiness to anything that the government can do or not. An Austrian school is an older school of economics. 
It's got a little bit of resurgence in popularity in the last five years. They think that human behavior is too idiosyncratic to model accurately with mathematics and that minimal government intervention is best. So different theories out there will help paint what type of investor you are. We'll talk about this and more. We'll talk a little bit supply-demand. We'll talk about elasticity and why you should care. We'll talk about investments in this type of environment. You listen to AM 1220, KDOW. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. So when you study economics, I was going to say when you study economies, you're going to learn that the one thing you always fear is inflation. Consumer price inflation. You're, You're worried about producer price inflation because it's tied towards wage inflation, housing cost inflation, cost of living inflation. Some of the things that you're going to study are business cycles, and you become more and more comfortable with recessions. A business cycle is a pattern of expansion. It's contraction, recovery. Generally speaking, the business cycle is measured and tracked in terms of GDP. A recession typically is used to mean two quarters in a row of down economic activity. So you're looking for, I don't know, uh you don't want 100 years of expansion. That's like me saying, let's go sprint for 100 years in a row. You need time to recover. You need time to think about things. You need time to plan things. Recessions have averaged around 10 months since the 1950s. The recovery, though, typically averages about three years. So three years of economic expansion, 10 months of recession. That's what we've been averaging because of modern economics and how we've been uh, using uh, our Federal Reserve and other situations, political spending, to get us out job creation. So three years of expansion, 10 months of contraction. So the guy who um, has kids in college, teach them there's going to be recessions in your lifetime. That doesn't mean you have to go and lose your mind. It doesn't mean that you have to go strike. It doesn't mean that you have to go protest. Recessions are normal, and they're very, very healthy. They tend to take out speculation. In a healthy economy, speculation can work. In a non-healthy economy, speculation is the first to go. Unemployment is a funny word. Let me give you three examples. Frictional unemployment, that's when you have imperfect information and the difficulties in matching qualified workers with jobs. A college graduate who's actively looking for work is an example. Frictional unemployment is almost impossible to avoid. Are we having the jobs that we want in our economy filled? Or are people working at Walmart? How about cyclical unemployment? That refers to employment that is a product of a business cycle. You know, during recessions, for instance, the demand for labor and wages are typically slow to fall to a point where demand and supply are back in balance. So sometimes 
you overhire, it goes boom, and then you fire. Structural employment refers to the unemployment that occurs when workers are not qualified for the jobs that are available. So frictional, you don't want that low-paying job. Structural, there's jobs out there, like, for instance, California. We need engineers, and we need to fill those jobs. So that's, you know, a couple things that I look for. You have to learn currency, and you have to learn, you know, expenditures and tax and debt from governments. For a lot of citizens in different countries use different currencies, right, to do their trade. The word forex means foreign exchange. The nominal exchange rate is type of exchange rate that's referenced most in business. I see people who want to buy the Iraqi dinar as effing insane. They don't have an economy there right now. They don't have a currency there right now. Until you have an economy, until you can conduct trade on a fair level, you're crazy. So who typically pushes foreign exchange is watch your late-night infomercials. Whatever late-night infomercials are pushing, you tend to want to stay away from, especially when it comes to investing. Whether it's day trading, whether it's stock platforms like Red light, yellow light, green light. Foreign exchange. You can turn $10,000 into a million dollars right now. If you call our 800 number, we'll tell you about the Iraqi dinar. Anything that's an infomercial. An infomercial costs about $3,000 to run non-prime time. So basically, they got to get one person suckered for $3,000 to cover that cost. Maybe it's the two midgets out of Hawaii selling real estate. What do you think they're doing? You think you think they're trying to get you if their message was good, don't you think they'd be selling it to Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie? Don't you think they'd be selling it to the US government and not to the guy who's watching late night television at twelve thirty smoking dope? You think the two midgets have something to offer in real estate that you haven't figured out? You think Tony Robbins or Robert Kiyosaki have something that you don't? You've got incredibly low self-esteem if you have if you think that's the case. People that promise to teach you their system for creating wealth. I'll teach you the secret of millionaires. The secret of millionaires is that we don't spend all of our money on on stupid stuff like classes on how to become a millionaire. You know, we're not going to seminars that cost 400 bucks on how to become a millionaire. So stop doing it. You know, Kiyosaki, a lot of people are like, I read his book. If you read his book, it's incredibly confusing. His books, on one hand, put all your eggs in one basket. On the other hand, diversify, diversify, diversify. It's like, just say a lot of stupid stuff and see if it sticks because someone's going to believe it. Those of you who think Robert Kiyosaki is some sort of investing god, you're ignorant. He's great at getting you to seminars. He's not great at getting you to make millions. If you want to make a million fast, create a seminar for people to separate them from their cash. He figured out how to do that. So these wealth coaches, I think they're just crap. A lot of times a wealth coach will make a, a relationship with a building and, and like 
a timeshare or they'll go out and, and try to, you know, get oil pumped out of a, a, a broken down, dilapidated oil fine. And they'll say, look, we'll bring you $100,000 and you just set up a commission relationship for you. Wealth coaches are, are, are shenanigans. Do you think there's really a wealth coach out there? I mean, stop and think about it for a second. I'm wealthy. If you want me to coach you, you better be damn good looking or you better be buying me beer. I can teach you what I did. I started a business. I saved 10 to 15% of my salary. I figured out a market that other people weren't doing, Generation X financial advice. Be honest with people. Treat them with respect. Don't sell them crap product. So, I don't know. You got to be incredibly cautious with what you see out there. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And if you hear a lot of, you could have made 60% on what I told you or 100% on what I told you, it's probably not monitored by the SEC. Any returns above norm have to take on extra risk. Otherwise, the U.S. government would be doing it. Otherwise, I would be doing it. So when you hear about, you know, you could buy real estate that yields 15, 16, 17%, there's something wrong with it. It's too much of return. AM 1220, KDOW. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220, KDOW. Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and much, much more. In low interest rate environments, high dividend paying stocks make a lot of sense. And what I'm saying a high dividend paying stock is, is not Annalee Mortgage. I'm saying it's a Verizon. It's an AT&T. It's a Procter & Gamble. So when interest rates are low, look to bonds that pay dividends because there's part of our society that needs income. A couple things that we have to start talking about. We talked a little economics. That's as comfortable as I feel talking about economics on radio because I know the dials were all going, he just said Keynes. Let's switch the channel. But a couple things that I look for in stocks, a lot of people say, you know, when should I buy a stock? When should I sell a stock? I look at profit margins. It's critically important to me. I can't, the, the measure of profitability helps the financial performance of the stock. There's four important profit margins which display different amounts of profit within a company. You're looking, do you know what an income statement is? You got to know these things. Like, you have to. When I use the phrases or the ratios, return on assets, return on equity, and return on capital, these are the things that if you can find a stock that has a return on equity over 15%, it's probably going to be a pretty good stock. You know, income statements, you're looking for gross profit, you're looking for operating profit, you're looking for pre-tax profit, and you're looking for net profit. Profit margin. First of all, you know what a margin is, right? That's the number for a given profit level. It's 
basically the number is a percentage of net sales divided by revenues. Profit margin analysis uses the percentage calculation to provide a comprehensive measure. Different companies are going to have different margins. For instance, software could easily have margins in the 80%, 90% levels. Hardware, somewhere between 20% and 60%. So when you see a company like uh, Intel say, you know, our margins are going to improve from 52.3% to 53.8%, you're like, Psh, that doesn't sound that good. But when you're making millions and millions and millions and millions of a semiconductor, it, hell yeah, it's good. Gross profit is one of the ones that I look for immediately. That's company's cost of sales. Representing the expense related to the labor. Raw materials. Overhead involved in the production process. The expenses deducted from the company's net sales. I'm looking at operating profits. You subtract out selling general administrative. SG&A. You're looking at pre-tax margins. And again, keep in mind, you know, tax rates are, I'm not going to say optional or they're, I'm not going to say that they're definitively set in stone because they're not. So these are just some of the things that you have to look at. If t- effective tax rates, if a company one quarter reports 0% effective tax rate, what is, what, what's their quarter going to look like when they have to be taxed? So, you know, the variances and percentages have a material effect. You have to look at these things. Return on assets, it's one of the... I probably come. I probably look at 20 things before I buy a stock. Return on assets is one of the first things. It shows you how well management's employing the company's assets to make a profit. Return on equity, same basic idea. It measures how the shareholders earned for their investment in the company. How much did they earn? Did a dollar get you 15%? Did a dollar get you 20%? The higher the ratio percentage, the more efficient management is in utilizing its equity base for a better return for investors. You're looking for some numbers that, you know, it's gonna vary from sector to sector. Like I said, you know, hardware has a lot less profit margins than software, but internet has a lot higher profit margins. Services, you know, cost of labor, you, you have to look at all of these issues. Return on capital is probably the one of the last economic metrics I look inside of a company's financials. If you add a company's debt liabilities to its equity, it reflects capital employed. Very much so, like everything else that we're talking about here, you know, you're not just looking for positives, you're looking for negatives. We can all find the positive in dating a beautiful woman. We can all find the positive of dating a beautiful college girl. But we can also find the, well, she's probably not as, you know, worldly. So you start looking for some negatives. Oh, she still smokes. Like, she'll get over that in five years. So you, you start, we can always find positives, but you got to look for negatives. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, are you, are you with me? So one of the things I look for are debt ratios. I'm looking debt to equity. I'm looking for capitalization. I'm looking for cash flow to debt. Can they pay their bills? 
we've had CFP Chad Burton on the show numerous times saying, watch out for companies that have leverage because the companies that have the leverage in good times are very, very good. But in bad times, when things go, go negative on them, they collapse. Another thing that I'm looking for in my finances, every company I'm, I'm comparing them. So let's say I find a company like Apple. I'm probably going to compare them to Sony. I'm not necessarily going to compare them to Google. Google, you try to find light comparisons. Sometimes you can't find the perfect comparison. So what you have to do, like with banks, you can find perfect comparisons, right? Well, there's tech companies I just mentioned. There's Google a search company. Are they a tablet company? Are they an operating company? So there are breakdowns of how those different divisions did. And how much are you willing to pay for that return on equity? Or how much are you willing to pay for that price-to-sales ratio? I'm looking for cash flow. Here's something that doesn't really lie. Cash flow. I'm going to go ask my producer. I'll say, hey, Russ, how much money do you make a year? And he'll come up with a number. He'll throw it out at me, $100,000. And then I go look at his you know, statements with the IRS, and it's a little bit less than that. So not only can the person lie, but then the IRS statements can lie too. He can say that a company can say, for instance, and this is a, a, a better example, instead of using something off concept, use something on concept. WorldCom, you remember the old telephone company? At one point in time, they provided business services to a company and basically somehow called it revenue. They said, basically, if you buy business from us, we'll buy business from you. And that's not revenue. That, that's a swap. It's a barter at best. So what you turn over to the IRS can be a, a, a material lie. Sometimes it can be intentional. Sometimes it can be non-intentional. But you know one thing that doesn't lie? Cash. Cold, hard Cash. When I look at your bank statements, I'm going to find out if you're lying or not. Banks don't lie. So cash coming in, cash coming out. Something that I absolutely positively must have. You have to have some perspective on the markets. Crashes happen. Bubbles happen. You don't want to get caught up in a bubble. A bubble is a type of investing phenomenon that demonstrates the frailty of some facets of our mind where we think things will always go higher. A crash is almost the exact opposite. It's the popping of a bubble typically. It creates a situation where the majority of investors are trying to get the hell out as fast as they can. I think this all got started with the tulip and bulb craze. In 1593... Tulips were brought from Turkey and introduced to the Dutch, and the Dutch loved them. A new flower was introduced into their society. It was widely sought after, and it became incredibly pricey. After a bit of time, the tulips contracted a non-fatal virus known as mosaic, which didn't kill the, t- t- the tulip population, but altered in it, it, it changed their flames of color. So then suddenly it became even a more unique flower. Because if you wanted the the virgin version, the maiden, you had to pay a premium. 
because the virus alterations were valued differently. So there was a scarcity and there was a strong demand, which comes back to learning about trading systems and economics. A lot of Dutch persisted in believing that they would sell their hoard to hapless and enlightened foreigners. The prices weren't an accurate reflection of the reality of, of what it was worth. The government tried to honor contracts at 10%, trying to halt the crash. So the tulip craze left the Dutch very hesitant about speculative investments for hundreds of years. There was a South Sea bubble. There was a Florida real estate craze. I don't know if you remember that back in the 1920s. Land that could be bought for 800000 could within a year be resold for $4 million. So the United States was chugging along. And Florida had a real estate boom. Prices doubled, they tripled, and they crashed all within four years. So we should learn from history. When things are too good, be cautious. AM 1220, KDOW, I'm Rob Black. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. So one of the things I'm trying to do is teach a little bit of perspective. Market crashes happen. Bubbles happen. South Sea bubble. The tulip and bulb craze. The Florida real estate craze in the 20s. The Great Depression in 1929. The market declined in a, just a terrible, terrible amount of days. 40% drop in the market from the beginning of September 1929 to the end of October 1929. The market continued to decline from July 1932 when it bottomed out down nearly 90% from its 1929 highs. Now, the cause of the depression probably couldn't happen again today. Behavioral finance issues aside, the easier it is for people to get swept up in opinion of herd mentality, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. You get ignorant investors out there who get spooked into panic, but they're also you know, greedy and joining in. Back in the 1920s, late 20s, early 30s, it was thought that the stock market had no risk. The U.S. economy was young and vibrant and everything was going well. We had just come out of World War I. Those were the good old days. There was a lot of uneducated investors. There was a lot of people getting stock advice from their barbers. So the market was ripe for some manipulation and it was ripe for some swindling. It was ripe for some problems. So during the craze before the Great Depression, a number of academics, included a guy named Babson, predicted a crash if things didn't calm the hell down. He said the phrase, things need to calm the hell down. And next thing you know, there's a stock market crash. So the crash of 1987 was the next big one after that, some 50-plus years later. 
That's one that you might remember in your lifetime. It happened on October 19th. Down 22% in one day. We lost about $500 billion of value in one day. Now keep in mind, Apple just went, you know, started 2012 from $400 billion to $600 billion. Like one stock by itself added $200 billion in market cap. Roughly. So we lose $500 billion in the whole stock market. And back in 1987, that was a big deal. The SEC could take investors to the proper information. They tried to help them. Uh, the SEC was established for the prevention of further crashes, the Securities Exchange Commission. Franklin Delano Roosevelt ordered it after the Depression. So, yeah, you know, they, there were some shady IPOs in the 80s. There were some conglomerations that got a little too, too unabated in their growth. There was a rash of SEC investigations into insider trading due to this and junk bonds in 1987. A couple years later, 12 years later, 11 years later, the Asian flu, the Asian crisis, peak to bottom, Southeast Asian stocks lost 63% of their value. Then comes the dot-com crash, two, three years later. You know, from peak to, uh, from peak to bottom, I keep saying that, I've got to be careful. The NASDAQ lost 78% of its value. 5,000 down to 1,100. So decades before the word dot-com slipped past our lips. The internet was created by the U.S. military. Vastly underestimated how much people would want to be online. There's a recent study that people will give up sex for a year. 22% of Americans would give up sex for a year rather than give up the internet. Companies underwent a similar phenomenon, you know, that changed the 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 mid-century of the United States. So you heard people say, if you're not a dot-com, you're a dot-nothing. So there were phrases like Silicon Airs. You know, they were moving out of $4 million estates. And when the dot-com bubble hit, they were moving back with mom and dad. There were IPOs. This is how crazy it was. In 1999... There was 457 IPOs, most of which were internet companies. There was 457 IPOs, initial public offerings. 117 of them doubled in price on the first day of trading. So the insiders were making a killing. Not the insiders, the investment bankers. So by the year 2001, the number of IPOs dwindled to 76. And none of them doubled on the first day of trading. So just in a short period of two years, it went from crazy, chaotic, to dead calm. A lot of people argue the dot-com boom and bust was the case of too much too fast. There were companies back then that were able to you know, grow massive revenues, but they were never able to become profitable because the, ex- the equipment was too expensive. What followed the dot-com bubble? The housing bubble. And for those of you who don't think it was a bubble, and for those of you who are, like, are in denial that housing, if you ever think housing will do what it did from 2002 to 2006, I will gladly promise you that it will. We will get speculative again, and we will deflate. We will tend to overbuy. We will tend to get greedy. I saw people in 2002, 2004, 2006, they were coming up to me, and young people, 25, 27 years old, just arrogant, 
arrogant mother, little mother effers. Just arrogant. You wanted to strangle them. Like, me and my wife are going to buy a triplex out in Stockton, and we're going to flip it in a year, and then we're going to buy a hotel in Palo Alto. Like, their mindset was, like, sick, that they thought they were entitled to $300,000 gains per year due to leverage. Not not due to extra work, not due to working 70 hours a week. Due to leverage, people thought they were entitled to it. If interest rates go higher for any period of time, 5, 10, 15 years, real estate's not going to be very slow to recover. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but you got to learn from the past and try not to make those mistakes again. Educate yourself, inform yourself, do research. You can find me at robblack.com. Never get arrogant. AM 1220, KDOW. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.